Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call. And you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. Today, we are speaking with CEO Evan Rabin. He is a chess master, which is something my dad's going to be very excited about. And my dad says that chess can be a uniting language for all. Evan, welcome. Well, I'm actually really excited about this because you've been like in my Facebook community for pretty much <laughs> the past couple of years since I started it, really. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be part of it. Yeah. And you were so sweet to give my son a chess lesson for his birthday. How many people do you do that for? And is that a trick that like gets you some business? Look, I don't do it for anyone. I do it for, you know, like friends and friends of friends. Yeah. I mean, completely objectively, will at least usually give like a Google review or something? Sure. <laughs> I need to do that. You know? I think I may have, but um, I need to if I didn't. It's a That's nice sweet. thing to do. Yeah, I know. Totally. (laughs) Too. Yeah. Like when you gave him a chess lesson, I really feel like you teach chess differently. Talk to me about your style of teaching and how that's evolved. Yeah. So I also manage 48 instructors who, you know, teach in in different styles. But the short of it is, I would say we all, you know, teach business and life lessons, you know, through the game. So, you know, when we're teaching, we're not just teaching, you know, how to move chess pieces around, but rather, you know, how to, you know, have the thought process, right? And build critical thinking and build, you know, intuition, right? So, you know, we teach at a law firm once a month where we teach about, you know, judgment training. You know, on one hand, you need to know everything, you know, kind of in and out. At the same time, you also need to, you know, be able to think on your feet. That's interesting. And I know that you think on your feet a lot because you are a podcaster and you get to know people live, right? You don't do so much preparation, you're telling me. No, I, I I don't. You know, I just got an email, for instance, from someone who's actually coming on my podcast next week. You know, she actually said like, oh, like, you know, what, what, what questions are you going to ask me and whatnot? And I actually haven't had a chance to respond yet. But what I do, yeah, I'm basically going to tell her that there is no preparation. Right. Like, come on and, and you'll you'll learn the questions then. <laughs> yeah. Have you had some people that like kind of insist? Can you give me an outline? I have. You know, I had one business coach who I know my network decently well. And yeah, you know, he, he said, oh, I, I don't really like to do things that are like unprepared. You know, he actually didn't come on the show. You know, I, I wasn't going to budge since, since I, I couldn't prepare questions beforehand. You know, he just, he just didn't do it. Okay. I actually love that because I've had people who insist and then I have bended to their needs. And I really feel like, cause my show is kind of like yours. I like to see where the conversation goes. And sometimes when you give people a list, even if you give them a list, like I still want room for not having to stick to a list. 
Yeah, no, I, I think flexibility is important. You know, I actually just, for instance, also recorded a podcast up my episode myself this morning with my good friend Mackenzie Molner. And by the way, I look forward to you coming on in a, in a few weeks. One, one thing that I actually liked about Mac is like, you know, he started asking me a couple of questions as well. You know, or I asked him about some aggressive openings. He was like, oh, well, what aggressive opening do you play, for instance? So, yeah, like I, I think flexibility just makes it a lot more interesting. Okay. So, speaking of aggressive, I was wondering, like, is there ever any like drama that happens at chess tournaments? Quite a bit, actually. Like, there's cheating scandals. I've actually even seen, like, I mean, it's, it's crazy, but yeah. Like I've, I've, I've seen like, like small fights break out at tournaments before when people are competitive, they're competitive. A lot of stuff that could go down. That's interesting. Like, do you think chess would make for a good reality TV show? It has been turned into movies. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, there, there actually has been, thankfully, like obviously a huge rise in chess PR you know, with Queen's Gambit and everything. Yeah, like bringing chess to the masses has been great. I love that. And you actually know people that were kind of involved in the Queen's Gambit, right? Yeah, quite well. So my friend Bruce Pandolfini, who had been on my podcast, actually, was the main advisor to both the film and the book. He actually, along with Gary Kasparov, who he actually hired to to, to join the process, actually installed in all the games in the book. And one other you know, cool thing about Bruce is he was also very involved with uh, Church for Bobby Fisher. He wrote it and was also the teacher in the movie. And then he also actually, like the Bobby Fisher basket match in 1972. He actually gave live commentary on, on on television. Wow! Yeah, like what stands out from your conversation with him? I think really just that it takes people like him to you know bring chess to to the masses, right? Like otherwise, it's just not going to happen. You know, people often complain that like there's no you know like a lack of chess PR, this and that. But really, it just you know like people need to to work on it. And I will say, a lot of people have. And you've been like even a little jealous of me from my business, this and that. It's been a lot of work, you know. So, you know, there are test companies that have been around much longer than me that are doing less. Companies that haven't been putting in, you know, the effort. You know, I was at a national after school conference in Las Vegas last week. You know, there were several STEM companies there. I was the only chess company there, you know, networking and, and, and meeting schools from all around the country. Interesting. Yeah, what was that like being the only one there? It was honestly great. You know, like people were literally like very, very busy at my booth, especially during some of the, you know, more busy periods, like coffee breaks and whatnot of the conference. There, like, I got over like 80 leads of schools looking to like potentially build chess programs. How do you manage 80 schools? I mean, you've worked with hundreds now. I mean, I also want to just like talk about everything from the beginning. So should we start like you've been playing chess since you were seven years old? Correct. Who introduced you to chess? So my brother and my dad actually taught me how to move the pieces when I was seven. Shortly thereafter, I actually started playing the program at my school, Churchill, which was run by Shanaz Kennedy, uh, who I'm actually now running some tournaments with these days actually so we're still in touch uh, you know quite a bit yeah a few months after i learned how to move the pieces i played my first tournament and a month after that i went to uh the nationals for the first time yeah i don't think that's like the normal trajectory right yeah it definitely usually takes people a little bit longer look i had a, a lot of friends playing i was you know very good friends with like the chess team and i also had a, a learning disability you know growing up and i went to uh, churchill which is yeah a learning disability school 
And uh, at the time, I didn't have as many friends as I would want. And finally, like being on the chess team, I had like all of my friends. It just made sense for me to go with them. And I did. And I didn't know yeah, about just, the just learning disability thing. part. I've never heard you really talk about that. Yeah, well, it's definitely something that I'm, you know, pretty, pretty proud of to, uh, you know, overcome and whatnot. What kind of learning disability did you have? So it was specifically not ADD, actually, but like similar uh, to, to ADD, basically. So yeah, I went from kindergarten to eighth grade at a, at a learning disability school in, in New York. Interesting. And do you feel like chess helped you with that? Um, I do. Uh, actually, my friend, Dr. Adina Blickstein, a psychologist, and also uh, actually has an online school now, Field Dragon. And I presented actually an online conference that she put together last year. And uh, yeah, she talked about my learning disability story. It's now on her blog, actually, for people to uh, you know look at. But yeah, it helped me build confidence. It helped me you know, with analytical thinking. It helped me you know make like the proper decisions. And I would say, yeah, for sure. It, it definitely has. It also How- just helped me get into, you know, Dwight and my college Brandeis. So and writing my college essay about chess and, and, and so forth. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. Tell me about the college essay. What did you say? So in 2007, actually one of my chess highlights was winning a national team tournament, amateur team East, where we were first place out of 250 teams. I actually talked about how managing the team and recruiting the team and in, like inspiring the team was, you know, basically like running a business. Interesting. So I do feel like a lot of what you've done has led to what you're doing now. Definitely. You know, I studied business and international global studies at, at Brandeis. I've been playing chess since I was seven and I actually taught on and off since I was 12. So uh, yeah, I did have, you know, some time in, in corporate America at Oracle and Rapid 7, but ultimately, you know, decided to do like my true passion of, of chess. And you know, that, that's what I'm doing now. That's amazing. How do you get young people excited about it? Really, the biggest thing is just exposure. You know, we try to as much as possible rather than do like after school programs in schools, you know, we, we try to do curriculum classes because ultimately, you know, especially young kids uh, or adults for that matter, but especially kids. You know, they, they just want to express interest in chess, you know, without trying it. So uh, really, just once they're exposed to it, you know, like in their curriculum, almost always they're going to enjoy it. I do feel like, because I used to go to chess tournaments with my dad, that some chess games are hours long. How do you get kids to stay interested in it that long? Well, for one, most kids are not playing like that long tournaments, right? Like most kids tournaments, you know, the time control will be more or less like 30 minutes per player. So they don't go like that long. But on that, it's just, you know, it, it, it's keeping patience. And then also really just like training them, you know, how to think. So I teach, uh, you know, very distinct thought process, you know, starting from, you know, writing down your opponent's move, figuring out, you know, exactly why he went there, how to come up with, you know, candidate moves, right? And really just explaining to them that like, in order to come up with, you know, even a decent move, it's not something you could typically do in, in 10 seconds. It's something that you need to like, you know, really think about. If we were starting with the basics, like what usually does your first lesson look like? So first, right, just making sure that, you know, they know how to move the pieces, right? So in the beginning, you know, before I even teach, you know, how to move the pieces, I talk about the chessboard. You know, I say fun things like, yeah, there's 64 squares on the chessboard. There's three different types of lines on the chessboard, right? You have your files that go up and down you have your ranks that go across and you have your diagonal 
you know, and then of course, you know, depending on the age, right, I might throw in a little bit more or less humor, you know, in there. It's going over, you know, how to move the pieces. And by the way, most of what I actually like teach and all of our instructors are, are different, but the order that I've taught actually comes from the chess in the schools curriculum. Before working at Oracle, I actually worked at uh, chess in the schools for six months and they have, yeah, one of the better curriculums around. Their president, Debbie Eastburn, has actually been on my podcast a couple months ago. So, uh, but then, yeah, after teaching you know, how to move the pieces, you know, it's the more advanced rules like check and checkmate, stalemate. And, and by the way, I mean, even a lot of adult beginners don't know like the differences of like checkmate and stalemate. You know, I've had a lot of adult beginners tell me that kings could get captured. Well, they, they can't. So really it's just, you know, making sure they know all the rules. Um, and then of course, yeah, getting into some basic strategy, basic opening principles, uh, basic checkmating patterns to maybe like very, very simple, you know, forks, discoveries, all different types of like tactical themes. Then I try to show like some sample games. So, you know, what, what I do like to say is like for the typical like adult, I could teach them the rules and basic strategies in about like three to four lessons. If it's someone who's, you know, a kid, it'll be more like, you know, eight to 10 classes. Nice. Are there kids that you've started with that you're just like, you see potential in immediately? Yeah. You know, sometimes you just see kids that are very serious, you know, that don't really require like classroom management. They're kind of just, you know, very, very curious. And, and they're like hungry for, for more, you know, they, they play on their own. You know, that, that's actually one thing that I, you know, I've been telling students a lot recently, which is like, look, where typically, okay, every school is different, but you know, the, the, the most amount of chess I would say students will like get with like us at a school is like, you know, maybe like two, three hours a week. If you're going to improve, it's, it's not just the, you know, one to three hours a week that you're, you know, working with us. Right. When you were a kid, were were you playing with whoever would play with you? Were you reading the chess magazines? So I did a lot. You know, I, I played in my school program at, at Churchill. I did have a couple private coaches as well. Most recently, I actually worked with Grandmaster Landon D. Dawson, who at his peak was, was rated seventh in the world. We're actually currently writing a book together. Right. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. God willing, that will come out sometime this year or next. <laughs> What's the angle? Are you guys telling some of your story or is it more like what you've learned? So we're actually writing about second tier chess openings and which ones you kind of shouldn't play and how to play against. Interesting. Chess definitely is a community, like, and especially at your level, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I do know everyone, you know, I, like certain times students with people out there, they like to have a chess coach and I don't know the person, like. You know, it's a it's a surprise. And, and and that's all around the world, by the way. I mean, I, I personally played tournaments in 11 countries. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, name a country. I know, you know, I, I, at least like one or two chess players. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Tell me about some of those adventures. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I played tournaments in, in Israel. I played tournaments in Spain, France, Germany, uh, Argentina, you know, Puerto Rico. That was part of the U.S., but they actually have their own chess federation. And it, yeah, really, like I played a tournament in Vietnam and, and really in, in all these places, you know, it's just great to uh, really use chess as, you know, a language. My friend Dwayne Barber, who has actually been to like 135 countries, uh, he's been on my podcast. He actually uh, donates like 300,000 to U.S. chess every year for the nationals. But he uh, 
you know, love talking about how like, yeah, trust, trust is a language. You know, actually when I was in Dubai back in December, I'm going back in February, he was like, oh, you got to go to the carpet store in the Burj Khalifa where you could like meet this guy that I, that I played chess with. So in fact, I, I tried to look for him and didn't find it actually, but I'm going to try again in May. <laughs> you know, so, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's great to have like a, a community all, all around. Incredible. Yeah. Where was the favorite place that you got to visit playing chess? I really like Dubai. You know, I was there for the world championship back in December and uh, I'm actually going back there with, with my fiance and me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me this story. You just got engaged like days ago. I did. I did. She is actually uh, nearby now and, and, and smiling. But yeah, we, we just got engaged last night or two, two nights ago. And, and in fact, I can't believe it's already been yeah like a, like a day and a half. But yeah, we, we, we met actually six weeks ago through Manhattan Jewish experience at a Shabbat dinner. You know, it was just uh, like meant to be. And uh, yeah, we, we got engaged in six weeks. So. I love it. Hey, when you know, you know, right? <laughs> when you know, you know. She, she is making a guest ex- appearance. Hi. Hi. Congratulations, Mazel Tov. Hi. I can't hear the podcast, but I'm looking forward to hearing it after. Aw. I'm so happy to have met Evan. And we're excited. Aw. And so it's our honor to be on the podcast. Yeah. The Better I'm Call Daddy the Show. The Better Call Daddy Show. Better call daddy. Oh, you're so sweet. I want to hear the whole story. Like, how did he propose? Well, it was going to be in Dubai or later on, but then we just decided why not. So he surprised me two nights ago and just got down on his knees. He proposed. Right here in this apartment. And then That's we, so sweet. We're ever, yeah, we're just ecstatic. And then here's the symbolic There's love. The bling. <laughs> the bling, bling, bling. <laughs> I and love it. Yeah, it's very, very nice. I'm very happy I met Evan. Oh, I see the love. Yeah. I see the love. I feel the glow. That's so cool. The love is definitely real. Yeah. And and Max, he felt jealous, so he wanted to make a oh special my God. appearance as well. So cute. Oh, sweet. And Rylan will make a, a special guest appearance, too. Oh, sweet. And yes, it is actually tax season for Stacy, so he's going back to taxes. Yeah. Oh, I need to do those. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Oh my gosh. I'm such a procrastinator on taxes and it's good to have somebody that can help you with yours as a business owner, especially. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. The evolving entrepreneur. There's so many moving pieces. I need to learn chess. We're going to get you on that. Yeah. My dad, he was talking about Zinzi Kashvili was a monster at five minute chess. Uh, he is definitely, uh, you know, well known as a, a great speed player. Yeah. Yeah. Do you play speed chess? I do. I, I you know, quite quite a bit. I think everyone does, you know, especially now, like playing online, can be uh, a little addicting. Yeah. Tell me about the online community versus in person. What's the difference there? Yeah. So you know, for one, it just helps expand chess. You know, thank God with uh, you know COVID nineteen, our business never stopped at all. You know, we transitioned everything to virtual. I was actually quoted last year in the New York Times about how our business actually went up 150% with Queen's Gambit and everything. So yeah, we were able to transition. And yeah, like there's online chess community. I've actually met many people now that I've never met over the board, but I feel like I know quite well through online chess. And in addition to like chess.com and, and lead chess, there's a lot of chess streamers. So I do stream on, on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash premier chess is our name there. 
someone that I'm, I'm thinking of, actually two people that I'm thinking of offhand are this guy, Jacob Fortuna, and this guy, John Hendrick, two chess coaches that I've actually never met in person. But I met them both on, on Twitch, actually. And uh, yeah, both of them have been on my podcast. Jacob actually is also a, a software engineer. And actually a couple months back did a roundtable on technology and, and chess that he was part of. You know, I'm actually yeah, I'm very grateful for like the online chess community and being able to uh, you know, actually meet people you know, quite well. So when you're not talking about chess, what else do you like to talk about? So I'm very big into music, huge into the Grateful Dead and the Allman Brothers. Talk a lot about the Grateful Dead and the Allman Brothers. Actually, this Saturday, I'm going to uh, Bob Weir at City Hall at Radio City. Oh, cool. Um, so yeah, huge into the Grateful Dead and the Allman Brothers. Oh, that's awesome. And who exposed you to that? Mostly my dad, you know, a little bit about my guitar teacher as well. In Chicago, actually, in 2015 for the Grateful Dead 50th anniversary shows. So I was at Soldier Field three nights in a row with uh, 40,000 other dead. Oh, my God. What was that like? Amazing. <laughs> I met so many friends. Some people I've even stayed in touch with. And hearing like everyone doing that not fade away clap, it was just absolutely incredible. Are there parallels between music and chess? I think so. You know, I, I think a lot of it is like improvisation, being able to, on the one hand, like know music quite well, but also like improvise. My good friend, Mike Papapavlu, the owner of Guitar Guy Guru, you know, we, we, we actually like jam out sometimes. And, you know, we actually, yeah, talk a lot about how you need to, you know, kind of like practice skills and everything, but also be able to kind of take, you know, like the basics and fundamentals and, uh, you know, be able to solo. I see a piano behind you. When did you start getting interested in music? Funny, like, honestly, I do have a piano behind me. I don't know how to play it. <laughs> I am trying. I've taken a couple beginner lessons. You know, my friend Sam Bodenheimer, a, a very, very good pianist, uh, you know, gave me like a, a lesson a couple of years ago, you know, some, some others. But I would like to get, yeah, like more, more into it. But yeah, I've, I've been in music actually very young. You know, when I was literally in like kindergarten, I, I love talking about like the Beatles. <laughs> You know, I'm a huge Beatles fan now. I'm actually, uh, yeah, seeing McCartney uh, again in, in a couple months for the first time in, in several years. But very young, I was uh, pretty into music. That's so cool. Wow. I feel like the Beatles are mature for kindergarten. <laughs> wow. That's cool. Yeah. So what was your childhood like? Yeah, thankfully I had, you know, amazing parents. Still do. They, they would often bring me to, you know, chess tournaments. You know, they would take care of my brother, Alex, and, and I. Yeah, they, they, they both were like from New York. My, my mom from Yonkers in Westchester and my dad from Nanuet in uh, Rockland County, not, not too far. Yeah, grew up, born and raised on the Upper West Side in, in Manhattan. Yeah, I would say I was definitely relatively independent, you know, in New York. You know, when I was 13, taking the buses, subways, all that by myself. It's so crazy, like born and raised in New York and taking buses and like living in the big city. Like that is such a different existence than what I've had. Like I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, you know, I always actually like wanted to live in New York, but now that I visit there, it just seems super overwhelming and huge. But wow, that's crazy that you were like navigating that at 13. I feel like that's chess in some ways. Yeah, well, I definitely uh, learned what to do. <laughs> I mean, you've gotten to travel now, too. Like, do you think you'll ever leave New York? I doubt it. Well, we, we are actually somewhat thinking about maybe moving to Florida at, at, at some point. But I mean, even if I do, I'll be you know, back in New York, uh, like all the time. Wow. So you love it. You're a true New Yorker. Born and bred. 
what is a true New Yorker? Like, tell me some typical New Yorker things. Well, for one, I don't let anyone self call themselves a New Yorker unless they were born here. So <laughs> that's just period. That's funny. Yes, Stacy will never be a New Yorker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's uh, funny. She said we will be dual, which is true. I, I will be getting a Canadian citizenship as well. Oh, cool. So she's from Canada. From Montreal. Nice. What has your relationship been like with the Jewish community? So I'm very involved in the Jewish community. I'm a senior fellow currently at Manhattan Jewish Experience in New York. Thank God they're actually hosting an engagement party for us this evening uh, as part of senior fellowship. Yeah, I've been uh, very involved with uh, Mayor Manhattan. I actually have a Chavrutza partner there, Rabbi Mendy Barker. I've also uh, been involved with JICNY, done a lot with Masat Israel. So I, I used to run the 20s, 30s group of uh, the Tremont Synagogue in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So the Jewish community has always been, uh, you know, a big part of my life. Wow, that's really cool. Like, was there ever a time where you didn't think being Jewish was cool? I don't know if I would say that, but I would say for sure Judaism was not a priority to me. Like, it, it wouldn't necessarily come up, for instance, in like an initial conversation with someone. Now, I definitely talk about Judaism pretty early on. You know, I also back then, 10 years ago, was like not even so concerned about, you know, marrying a Jew. You know, now I forget about being engaged, even like I, I wouldn't even honestly consider going on a date with a non-Jew. You know, hopefully that doesn't offend certain people, but it's just true. You know, so yeah, like Judaism, like over the years have, has become, you know, a, a lot more important to me. It's interesting because like I have also, you know, had periods in my life where it didn't matter. And then, you know, now it does. Would you say that there was like a spiritual shift there? Yeah, there, there definitely has. You know, it's also like a community type of thing as well. But yeah, I have been definitely ex- exploring Judaism a, a, a lot more. You know, I, I recently actually moved partially so I could keep a kosher kitchen, you know, cool. for the first time. There's been a lot of factors that I, I've been uh, you know, thinking about. That's so interesting. And yeah, like what made you want to do that? It's something I, I've always thought about. You know, at one point, maybe like, you know, it would be a little bit too difficult, you know, to do that. But, you know, really, that was just like, you know, limiting beliefs. My rabbi, Yahuwah, uh, Lewis, actually, you know, likes to talk a lot about artificial barriers. You know, a lot of the time you think, you're, you know, you, you shouldn't be able to do something or like whatnot. You know, it's just like a, an artificial barrier. The truth is, like, if, you know, if you, if you want it, you, you, you can do it. I love that. Do you think that applies to chess too? Like, have you been in games where you're like, there's no way I can win and then you find a way? Yeah, for sure. Like mindset is everything, right? And most blunders actually happen in in winning positions. You do need to like, just, you know, be able to like fight. But like also it's important to, you know, think about that when you're playing higher rated players. A lot of players will think, oh, like, you know, this person's much higher rated than me. Like I shouldn't play them. Or if I do play them, like I'm, I'm going to lose. But no, you, you can't be like, like thinking about that, you know? So what I actually like suggest to students is no matter what their opponent's like actual rating is, you should protect, pretend like they're 50 points higher rated. That way you give them a little bit of respect, but not, you know, too much. Right. At what age did you start feeling the pressure of people's ratings? Do you think that happens just pretty early on? Yeah. I mean, once you know what a rating is. So like, yeah, when I was eight years old, I was obsessed with rating. How so? You know, look, if I if I lost a game and I knew I was going to lose rating points, I would start crying. Oh, it's it's like a competitive sport, right? Like everybody wants to win. Yeah. I mean, look, now I don't, I don't honestly even care about my rating that much, but I do certainly get upset if, 
you know, I don't win a cash prize, you know, at a tournament, <laughs> you know? So yeah, like for sure. Talk to me about when you started winning cash prizes. Yeah. So I actually won my first like cash tournament when I was 12 and I was like ecstatic, you know, it was like an $8 prize, <laughs> you know, it was nothing like major at, at all. But yeah, like I, I really just, you know, wanted to, I mean, I was just delighted, you know, like I, I won a tournament and I remember my actual now friend, I, you know, at the time I met him for the first time, Mitch Fitzko, you know, he told me I was winning a prize, you know, I just like literally was, was ecstatic. And, and I, I just kept saying, mom, dad, I, I want to go win more tournaments. I want to win more money. <laughs> right. Like that is a good motivator for kids, right? I mean, absolutely. Look, you know, it, it is a, a little bit unfortunate, actually. I mean, I, I even had like a literally eight-year-old the other day be like, hey, like, do you win trophies at tournaments? And I'm like, no, we, we can cash prizes. He's like, oh, when, when could I go to a, uh, you know, when, when could I go get money? <laughs> and I, you know, respected that. That's cute. Yeah. So what is like the biggest amount of money that you can win? It depends how to answer that question. But like, for instance, like the world championship. Yeah. Both sides actually get like $1.5 million, you know, for first place. The most I personally won in a tournament back in 2011 at the World Open was like around 2500 in a tournament. Did you do a happy dance? I did dance, but it was actually also my 21st birthday. So I had a fair amount of fun afterwards. <laughs> What do you think marriage is going to be like? Honestly, I think it'll be somewhat similar to, you know, what we're doing now. And I think we're, uh, you know, as she's standing behind me, God willing, going to have a, a great family. Obviously, our dogs are going to still continue to be with us. And, uh, you know, we're going to live a, a beautiful life together. That's so sweet. She says, amen. Amen. Yes. <laughs> is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? Well, as someone who's been married for, you know, many years and who has obviously, uh, you know, some great kids and grandkids, uh, what, what, what advice do you have for uh, a newly uh, engaged person? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. And nobody else has asked that because nobody else has proposed two days before being on the Better Call Daddy show. <laughs> Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share? Why should people get into chess, right? Like in general, you know, mine, I'll just answer it. So, you know, yeah. I, I think we teach age three to 100 plus, literally a, a variety of organizations. You know, we partnered with many, many preschools all around the country. We've worked with a lot of elementary schools. We've worked with, you know, many high schools. We've worked with a couple of different senior citizen organizations. Later today, for instance, uh, I'm actually teaching our virtual class with the rote where we actually work with high school students and seniors together. Uh, we actually just signed a contract with an organization, Goddard, where we're starting a senior class on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, actually starting this Friday, which uh, one of our instructors, Natter, is, is going to be teaching. And then we also teach, you know, at Google and Citigroup and Kramer 11, the law firm. So I, I find it you know, interesting that, yeah, like a lot of adults will tell me, oh, I wish I learned how to play as a kid, you know, something like that. But the truth is, yes, it's better to start you know, earlier, you know, as young as three, but now is always the right time. You know, I actually bit off the shed like taught a Holocaust survivor chess for the first time a couple of years ago. And it was like one of the most, you know, meaningful classes that, you know, I've ever taught. You know, really it's, uh, you know, it, it, earlier the better, but you know, really any age is uh, like a good age to, to start learning. That's unbelievable that you've worked with a three-year-old. Uh, yeah, we, we run programs in uh, a, a lot of preschools and, and like some semi-private groups, which you have yeah, like this new uh, semi-private group of, of like three and a half year olds in Queens starting this week with one of our coaches, Daniel. 
and they're able to to understand it? They are. They are. Uh, actually, Rabbi Levy, who's marrying us, I, I actually taught his kid as early as two and a half, actually. Uh, he's, he's actually five now, but yeah, like two and a half, I, I started teaching him <laughs> over Shabbat one day. That's so cute. Uh, honestly, like I was even unsure, you know, but like I, I was just like, I even told Levy, I was like, I'm going to I'm gonna teach David this afternoon. He's like, good luck. He went out, he, he like taught one of his other students, like Torah for an hour. And literally, he came back and I was like, David, show daddy what you learned. <laughs> and all the way up to a hundred, you said? Yeah, a, a Holocaust survivor. So three, three to one hundred plus. Wow, the Holocaust survivor was a hundred. I don't know. I don't know exactly, actually, but you know, around there. Incredible. Okay, and I want you to give a plug for your incredible podcast because you've interviewed so many masters and so many amazing people. Well, thank you. Yeah, we we just actually surpassed two hundred episodes two weeks ago, actually, with a milestone two hundred episode with uh, Isa Hoffman, who's been playing chess for sixty years. But yeah, we're now at episode two hundred and three that we just recorded with Grandmaster Mac Molnar. But yeah, every week we actually interview uh, great chess professionals. Actually, several rabbis have been on the podcast. We've had business coaches, attorneys, and uh, most importantly, a few weeks. I'm actually looking on the calendar as I talk right now actually like say the week but in a few weeks i look forward to having uh, yourself on the podcast very much look forward to that i'm looking forward to i may be in a new state by then who knows well this has been a true honor and i cannot believe i got to meet the fiance and on the day when you decided you're gonna get married (laughs) thanks so much i I appreciate it and uh, yeah thanks again for having me on okay be well talk to you soon now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. You're talking to another chess player for many, many years. Certainly had inconsistencies, but online, I was playing up to last year, and I was able to be online, 2200 rating. But of course, the USCF rating, uh, the highest I got up to was uh, 2020. And I was uh, an A player when I, uh, with my final rating, because I haven't played in years. But I think that a very important factor why chess, which is like a universal language where it really unites all people all over the globe and all ages and all nationalities. If everybody would play chess and get along with everybody in the whole world, <laughs> it might even be an avenue for peace. But I agree with you, the tactics that you can learn, really learning how to control the board as people get better at the game. It's also a way of of making moves where you actually control the space of your opponents as well as yourself. It's just a fascinating game with so much development that can be done in the game and crazy moves can be called for that nobody would even think of as good moves and without a lot of analysis. Funny part is, is that I got some lessons from Zinzi Kashvili that we met at the World Open. He was hustling in the in a, one of the back rooms uh, I was being hustled. He helped me win my money back. I took him out for a breakfast. You mentioned that there's money in the game, but I'll tell you, so many really, really good chess players really can't make any money in the game. Yes, maybe if you're a world title class, but the way to make and get it out there is the social media, getting everyone involved and in learning of the game, just like they do with golf, is maybe the answer because you're talking about a fantastic learning experience for everyone that gets involved in the game. (laughs) You don't have to sell me on it. I'm a big fan of chess. Even my daughter, Stephanie, ended up becoming the woman state champion of chess here in Kentucky. 
He won the tournament in a tie for first for the Louisville High School Championship when she was playing, where uh, she's the first girl to ever do that. It's a game that has discipline, sportsmanship, developing your mind. It just does it all. And it's so applicable to life in general, where it makes you think right. If you ask me a, a question, what do I think? Newlywed couple like yourself, what's the tip for the future? Well, I'll give you a tip. It's really your, your own chess game is that you've got to figure what your opponent's moves are and you got to think ahead. You really have to please your wife. There's an old pro- proverb, a happy wife is a happy life. And it's really very true because if she's happy and you put in the effort to really listen to her and respect her and give her the opportunity to really make you happy is the way it really will turn out. Think ahead, plan your moves and make sure that she always wins the game. If uh, you do that, you'll be happily married for many, many, many years. That's so sweet of you, Dad. I love that. I'll, I'll tell you something else. I've had some great experiences playing chess, too. And, you know, I had a chance to win one national championship out in Las Vegas. And I was playing an eight-year-old kid, one of these child prodigies. I was up three pieces. I was actually starting to feel sorry for him because the, the match was even on TV. And got those pawns in the middle of the board. It looked like I couldn't stop them. I had to start stacking pieces back. And it looked like I had at least a draw. And then I even blew the draw. And he won the championship. It's a little embarrassing to lose to an eight-year-old for a championship. It just goes to show you that in the game of chess, ages don't matter. Religions don't matter. Where you grew up doesn't matter. It's really just a a way of leveling the whole world to give everyone has an opportunity that anybody can win. I wish there was a little bit more money in the game because, you know, I even, one last story, Dan Harrington, I played for the, my college championship. I guess that was in the 1973 and it was like a six or seven hour game. And it was a zingzwang, I think is the name of it, where he was able to beat me at the very end of the game where I misstepped and then I had to, I was forced back. He says, Wayne, I want you to know this. I was just a kid at the time. He says, I want you to know that you just put me into retirement. I says, how could I put you into retirement? You won the game. You won the hundred dollars. He says to play a kid like you and have to work so hard to go to a little side tournament to win a hundred dollars. He says, I'm, uh, I'm retiring from chess. You're the last, my last opponent. You'll win this championship next year, which I did. And he went on to play poker where he was able to use his tactics and his understanding of and development of competition in a game. And I think he won the World Series of Poker and he finished in the top three or four twice where he won millions of dollars playing poker. And yet he was a very, very good chess master. But like I said, he didn't really have an opportunity because he wasn't at the level of world championship play to be able to really make a living at it. And even Vinzi Cashvili having to sell tapes and Greg Kadenoff that I took lessons from and have tapes with him. He's won a lot of tournaments as well. It's quite a struggle for these elite players to not be able to make a really a, a decent living at the game when so many other sports, they don't even have to be as good as these chess grandmasters or super grandmasters, and they're able to make out. I think with the social media prospects and teaching online and getting more and more and more people involved, there's a chance that chess could take off again. Of course, everybody wanted to play chess when we had player, an exotic player named Bobby Fischer, but 
without some real player that everybody can look up to, we haven't been able to get anywhere close to that same type of elevation or excitement throughout the world. You know who's excited huh? about chess? Who's that? Laser light. I think that you should play with him. Yesterday, he came home from school talking about that they're reading a book in school about chess. And he said, I'd like to learn that. Well, it would help not only him make the comeback, maybe me too. But it's hard to do some of these activities unless you're really doing it with somebody. It's just like uh, working out and losing weight. It's a lot easier to do it if somebody's enthusiastic to do it with you. Hard to do it by yourself. So some of these games, it's hard for me to get all enthusiastic about it without a little bit more of a purpose, like Stephanie getting interested in it. I won uh, at least three or four tournaments again when she was active playing, you know, and she did too. You know, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Bye.